Hey, the gang's back together. Ed, Tyler, Jared, the birthday boy. Were you a day late on that or two days? Two days late on that. Two days late on that. All right. Well, I hope you had a good one, buddy. I was here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, then scratch that. Not a good one. (laughs) Not a good one. But we're back together. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about the Raiders and specifically the trick play in which Derek Carr had to block Joey Bosa because I feel like we should talk about that every day for the rest of the season. He had to or didn't? I mean, he... The design of the play, I don't know what the... Okay, let's be honest. Whatever the design of the play is, surely it wasn't that. But what it looked like is that after Devontae Adams got the ball, Derek Carr was responsible for throwing the lead block on Joey Bosa to free up some space for him to throw. That is not a good idea. I... Is part of me thought that Derek Carr was supposed to like run out into the flat well, to the be the open receiver, is, yeah, and it, then he went, "Oh God, Bosa!" <laughs> yeah, like maybe, but Derek either Derek Carr was supposed to block Joey Bosa or Derek Carr was just in the way <laughs> of, of his was, own players. I think it was meant for Renfro. It was, yeah, I, I, yes, I think it, was it was meant, meant for Renfro. It was meant to be a pass to Renfro, from what we could tell. But Derek Carr like took the snap, handed the ball off. And then kind of just stood in the way of where Devontae Adams was going to run to. And Joey Bosa happened to run to the same spot. Do you guys remember the Jake Hutler play when he was with the Dolphins where they had him line up at wide receiver? And he was just like, he was standing bolt straight up because he was like, I'm not running. I'm not doing anything. I am out of this play. We might as well just have 10 guys out here. I feel like that was a better use of the quarterback than, yeah, Derek, just kind of wander around aimlessly. Right. And if in Joey, Bo- if Joey Bosa is out there, throw a block. Yeah. Well, it's, it's on film now, so what are you going to do? Not run it ever again. <laughs> ever again. Presumably. Well, no, the next time they run it, there's going to be a defensive end that's like, I get to hit both Derek Carr <laughs> and Devontae Adams. At the same time. The first bite. How much criticism... Do Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler deserve after week one? So this goes right to, I'm sure, the offensive line yes. that they did not upgrade in the offseason. I mean, any coach who loses a game is going to take some criticism. I gave him a C. Look at you. Gave him a C. Yeah. Because I thought, I thought defensively the coaches did a good job in the second half. But I did give him a C. Uh, C. They did not upgrade this offensive line in, this, in the uh in the offseason. Let me ask you this, though, because all right, take away the uh, Devontae sack. That's number six. Um, five sacks. How much do you put on them and how much do you put on Derek Carr for holding on to the ball too long? Because it's always like a combination, right? There's always right. like there's always like a fault can be spread out over each sack usually. Right. So the Derek Carr blame is deserved. He was the biggest reason they lost that single game. In week one, right? If you were, if you were trying, we talked about this yesterday. If you were pinning the majority of the blame somewhere, it goes to Derek Carr. But when you're the general manager and the head coach, when you're making roster decisions for the Raiders and you have Derek Carr as your quarterback, you give him a new contract. You know what he is as a quarterback. Derek Carr as a quarterback does not handle pressure well at all. He never has in his entire career. Maybe that one year, uh, what was it, 2015 or 16, where they won every game on the last play, uh, basically. 16, I believe. Yeah, the first year they went to the playoffs, even though Carr yeah. got hurt and didn't play in the playoff game. Since then, Carr has been brutal under pressure. And the thing that he does not do 
is create extra time or space with his feet when he's under pressure, right? Herbert was under pressure a few times in that game. Yeah, but he's wonderful at getting away from it. Tom Brady is not going to scramble out of the pocket, but Tom Brady is great at moving around in the pocket to avoid pressure. That's probably the weakest part of Derek Carr's entire game. And every everybody knows that, right? Joey Bosa gave that quote last year about when you hit him once in a game, he just crumbles, right? Everybody knows this. And the Raiders this offseason, despite knowing that about their quarterback, did not do anything to help that offensive line. So while, yes, in that game, a lot of it's on Derek Carr, especially that third down and fourth down sack that effectively ended the game, a lot of that's on Carr because those were plays where the offensive line gave him enough time to throw the ball. But I think... In reality, it's more about McDaniels and Ziegler because you know this isn't new. This wasn't Derek Carr did something we've never seen him do before. This is what he's been for his entire career. So if you build a roster and Derek Carr is your quarterback and you decide we're going to go cheap on the offensive line, we're not going to bring in any proven players on the offensive line, and then Carr holds the ball a second too long, well, it's just what he does. Like, that's what he is as a quarterback, and... If you're the Raiders and you're building the roster, that's that ultimately yeah. falls back on you. So yes, it it is Carr's fault, but like we all knew this is what he was. And if you were building this roster appropriately, you would not put him in that scenario where, oh, you're gonna be in that spot where you're not comfortable, where you're not good over and over and over. And that's what happened in game one. Yeah. And that's probably what's gonna happen a lot this season. Well, and again, after the game, McDaniel says they played seven because they all deserved to play. Uh, and we were talking about this on the, when I called in yesterday. That's not necessarily a good thing. No. <laughs> I mean, you can have seven guys who deserve to play because they're all really good. And you're like, okay, they've proven themselves in camp. They've proven themselves in OTA. They're all really good, so we're going to give them all a shot because they deserve it. I think they're just mixing and matching in four different line combinations because they're just searching. Right. I don't think it's because they're all deserving of playing time. When he says we're playing the guys that deserve to play, and then you look and see they had four different offensive line combinations in one game with no injuries, right? They, they didn't sustain. I mean, Andre James got hurt at the very end. Yes, but at the end. In game, it's not like they sustained injuries and had to keep moving guys around. They just rotated through offensive linemen throughout that game. And when the coach says, well, we did that because they all deserve to play, that that's not usually how this works on the offensive line. You don't usually go in there and say, well, we've got two left guards, two right guards, two right tackles, and they all deserve to play. No, you usually pick your five. And if they're performing well, those are your five, right? Those guys deserve to play. That, that to me, he was trying to sugarcoat. We don't know who the hell our best five offensive linemen are. That's the reality of it. We're one game into the season, and they do not know who their best five offensive linemen are, and he's trying to sugarcoat it by saying, well, well they all deserve to play. We're not looking. We, they, just, they just all perform so well, when in reality, it's going to be the weakest position group on the team. And it's going to be week two, and he's going to be like, well, they all deserve to play because <laughs> based on last week, I'm not sure I learned anything. Yeah. And the... Well, it might sort itself out a little bit. Andre James had a concussion, and yeah, he so he's obviously he, going to be in protocol. I would right, imagine. Is he's he back be able with to, the team. Right, he's going to be able to play yeah. in week two. Who knows? If he's not, I assume Dylan Parham becomes yes. the center, and then you lose that option to rotate through left and right guard. And right guard. So injuries might decide for them who their five offensive linemen are. But to say when it's the weakest position group, and you're like, ah, we played who deserved to play. You're really saying nobody has actually earned those spots. Nobody's I mean, actually deserved those spots. I mean, at this point, 
And look, I mean, they they did go against two of the best edge rushers in the yes. world. There's no question about that. I mean, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa are amazing. So that had a lot to do with it. Uh, but I think this week, or this at this point, it is a week to week. You know, it's yeah. a week to week thing now. I mean, you, depending on who you're playing, depending on how good they are in the line, and they could come out in there against Arizona look really, really good. Yeah. Arizona should not have as good of a pass rush as, no, as the Chargers. Had. Absolutely not. And here's what I think we're going to have over the course of the season. We're going to have six, seven, eight, nine games that look a lot like Sunday, where Derek Carr, well, doesn't especially look within very, that division, yeah, Derek Carr doesn't look very good. He's under pressure. Like we're going to have close to half the season where Carr and the offense look like that. The other half of the season, though, we're gonna there's going to be games where Carr and the offense look amazing. Yeah. There's going to be games where it's like, oh, Carr handled the pressure well, and they were able to throw the ball down the field, and they put up 31 points or whatever it is. So we're going to have those two different types of games. The question is, how many times does sort of the bad car and the bad offense show up? Because if the bad car and the bad offense show up eight or nine times this year, they're not going that to the goes, postseason. That goes to our nine and eight. Right. They're not going to the postseason. If the bad car only shows up five or six times, they're going to the playoffs. They're probably going to the playoffs. So, but that's, we're going to get inconsistencies from the offense, from Derek Carr. We're going to get really good games. We're going to get what we just saw. It's just a matter of how can they limit what they just saw to four or five times this season. My, my own six is very much alive. So if they lose this week, is your prediction dead already? No, it's still alive. Because if they lose this, oh no, wait, you're right. It's dead already. Oh, darn it. Because you had them 11 and six. I had them not winning a single right. game, and but yeah, I had them I running mean, the table outside okay. the. Div- I mean, they could make the playoffs at ten and seven, and still go go zero and six in division. Yeah, but they're outside. not going to do that. What it, what, it would be great uh, if they did. You say that, you watch, they will. No, they won't. <laughs> Cincinnati's going to the playoffs. Am I on the Bengals' predictions yet? The Bengals aren't going to the playoffs. <laughs> Get out of here. Well, I'll I mean, Joe I will say still that. staring at his locker. I will say that next week. I'm going week to week with the Bengals like I did last year until they get to the Super Bowl. Um, by the way, on the pass rush, I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday with you, but um, this was from Next Gen Stats from ESPN. Uh, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa combined for four and a half sacks, 16 quarterback pressures, and 10 quarterback hits. Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, zero sacks, nine pressures, five. QB hits. That is a massive difference between what was presumably two equal edge rushing units going into week one. Chandler Jones was invisible. Uh, Crosby was fine, but he didn't have any sacks. Crosby was good. Yeah, it didn't actually take down Herbert, which you probably need to do once, you know, in a game at least. Um, He got close a few times. Are are they going to be more impactful than that? Like, are we talking about... Oh, I think so. Like I think so. How I think they're how be. good is Chandler Jones going to be? I mean, he's going to be a lot better than he was the other day. How convinced be, are you of that? I'm I'm very convinced. Okay. Of it. I think those guys are going to be really good. I do. And I thought I thought Max played really well. I did. He didn't. They didn't get to him. But I thought right. Crosby played really. He was involved in a lot of stuff. His PFF grade was really high. I think he had the highest on the yeah. defense. Um, so it's not like they. Were, it's not like Crosby was bad. Chandler Jones was. Uh, well, well, you just didn't hear his name. Might as well have not been on the field. For you the just most didn't part. hear his name. Um, I mean, you expect him to be better, but I do think there's a concern that you're going to have to play in this division. And those are the games that are going to end up being most important, most likely. And you've, you've basically put up an egg as your edge rushers, right? Going into this game, if you went through all the high-paid players the Raiders had, Carr, terrible. Chandler Jones, terrible. 
right? Two of the, what, five or six high-paid guys they have were awful. And they kind of need all of them to be good every week if they're going to beat good teams. Devontae Adams, terrible at quarterback. (laughs) Just to bring it back around. It's not his fault that his coaching staff and front office didn't get him an offensive line and a quarterback that could pass block. It's just not his fault. You know what? I need to go look if Pro Football Focus gave uh, Derek Carr a pass blocking grade. Because they break it down by categories. I need to go look and see if he has a pass blocking grade for that Joey Bosa For the one play? Yeah. I wonder if they gave him that or if they just said, ah, that didn't work very well. We're just not giving anybody a grade on that. They just have that play under what? <laughs> I, I think they're going to be a lot better. It's uh, my underreaction Tuesday. Underreaction Underreaction. Tuesday. I'm not going to overreact. Look C. They better no. be. <laughs> I'm going to give them for the rest of the season a B plus. B Wait, plus. Wait, giving them a grade just, for the rest of well, the season? Well, I just, I just wanted to hear a grade. What kind of teacher are you? I just wanted to hear Incomplete. a grade. Incomplete. Oh, believe me. If you show up and do your work and not ask questions, you're getting an A. But you're giving them a B plus a. before they do the work. You're just like after day exactly. one, you're, no, like, yeah, you're getting exactly. a B plus. I'm I mean, confident in my students. He's grading on potential. <laughs> he's yes. the professor that's like, everyone in this class will get an A as long as you show up. Yes. Show up and just hand stuff in. Are we sure Chandler Jones showed up? I saw well, he, he didn't know the parameters yet. Now I'm telling <laughs> yeah. him what they are. He needed the syllabus first. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. I needed to write out the syllabus. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, we'll get into Monday Night Football because Nathaniel Hackett made a decision that united everybody in the NFL. A lot of time, a lot of time wasted right there to call timeout, Pate. Yes. Right? Yes. Even now, if you, if you get five yards, I mean, you still got two timeouts, but you got you to get some yardage. They're gonna kick it. They're gonna kick it. Kick what? Oh, they're gonna kick. They're kicking it right here. Kicking the field goal right here. Hold on. Oh. They're kicking Let me a see how far this 62 is. 62-yarder. 63-yarder. What? Back to the press box, summer edition. That was Shannon Sharp on the Manning Cast <laughs> last night. Uh, the Broncos. Elected to kick a 64-yard field goal on fourth and five to try to beat the Seahawks last night. They had the ball uh, down one, fourth and five, with just over a minute left. They let with the two clock, timeouts, three timeouts, three. Let the clock run down and burned a timeout with 20 seconds left to try to kick a 64. Even with 20 yard. seconds left, try to pick up the five. Well, you yeah. get timeouts, right? Yeah, yeah, all three. When they took, yeah, when they took, it, I said, oh, okay, they're going to come up with a play. Nope. They were going to kick it. The play was to send Brandon McManus on there. Uh, This is from Football Outsiders win probability. Kicking a field goal in that scenario gave the Broncos a 7.4% chance of winning. If they had attempted a pass on fourth and five, not even if it was completed, just if they attempt to pass 36.1%. That is about as bad of a win probability decision as you've... We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I don't think he had any idea what he was doing there. The amazing part is that Nathaniel Hackett's decision was so bad that people that love analytics and people that hate analytics and are like, ah, oh, you got to go with gut feeling, were both united we're in both hating agreeing that decision. In how bad that decision was. Like, it was so bad that the people that argue the most about decision making in the NFL agreed unanimously across the board that Nathaniel Hackett made the wrong choice. It was an incredible decision. If it was, if it had been a 54 yard field goal, maybe you could argue in defense of it, but even then 54 is well, you probably make those about half the time or something like that. Like it is unbelievable 
that they were okay with trying a 64-yard field goal. And then this tweet from Casey Joyner, since 2000, kickers are two for 29 on 64-plus-yard field goals. That's unreal to think that Nathaniel High... And then afterwards, he said, I thought we had a better chance of making the field goal than converting a fourth and five. 7% chance. Nady, not a good choice. (laughs) Not a good choice by Nady. That's your first game as a head coach. My goodness. (laughs) I wonder what Russell Wilson was thinking. He probably w- was jogging over thinking, okay, we let a lot of time go out, but we're going to come up with a play here because if you, in 20 seconds you come up with a play, you got plenty of time to call another timeout and kick the ball. Well, I think he knew because he you walks he off knew? the sideline and takes his helmet off almost immediately and you know walks away from the field. I think he knew. And I almost feel like if you're Russell Wilson, you say, ah, oh, no, we're, we're running a play. Just call, you, got, right. you burned 40 seconds. Just call one and go out there and yeah. snap it. Okay. Like, whatever, Nathaniel. Brian McManus career history on 62 yard plus field goals, 62 yards in 2016 miss 62 yards in 2018 miss 63 yards in 2021 miss 64 yards in 2019 miss 64 yards last night miss this man does not have the range to well, make few, that kick. You do right. It's a long field goal. Tucker tied the record last year right. at 66, 67. And that was in a dome, and he barely made it. Right. Like, and this, he's the best kicker the we've best kicker ever seen. Right. And a not bad opera singer. It's unreal. Like, it's unbelievable that that was Nathaniel Hackett's thought process, was that that's our best chance to win right now. Not a minute left and let Russell Wilson try to convert a fourth down. No, 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 no. Send Brandon McManus out there for a kick he's You're, never made. You just signed Russell Wilson to a huge extension, and you went, nah, nah. Yeah, I don't trust you. All right, what's he thinking, by the way? Give me back to Seattle. Said, said no. afterwards they're going to do special things. By the way, funniest result of week one. That is absolutely the funniest result of week one. Russell Wilson goes back to Seattle and loses to Geno Smith. Right. Oh, that is phenomenal. I mean, Baker basically rallying a comeback against the Browns, only to be like, and field goal. Yeah, yeah, but they both suck. Yeah, that's fair. Like, this is... The Broncos are supposed to be good. And they just lost to Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. Will Disley, for some reason, is wide open down the field half the game for Seattle. That's one of the funniest results. Because the other part of this, the Broncos dominated that game. They outgained them like 180 yards. They just lost two fumbles on the one-yard line. Which is another... Amazing stat or amazing thing that happened. And their coach is a moron. Like, the Broncos (laughs) were so much better than Seattle last night. So much. And somehow they lost that game. So it's absolutely hilarious. And which, by the way, I, the Seahawks lost, or the the Broncos lost to a bad Seahawks team. I actually walk away thinking, yeah, the Broncos are going to be fine. That's what Russell Wilson said. They're going to do special things. I think they're going to be fine. I, like they're going to be whatever around 500, like the Raiders are and pushing for a playoff spot in the last few weeks. But I don't, I didn't look at that game and think, Oh, this team's going to be a disaster. Cause again, they outgained them by 180 yards. Yeah. If they don't lose two fumbles on the goal line, they, no, they win the game. Easy. Yeah, they, they probably win that game by two scores, yeah. but they lose two fumbles on the goal. And w- by the way, by two different running backs, which is also, which is also amazing. Hilarious. It never happens. Right. Because you're like, Oh, that guy lost a goal line carry as a We're fumble. to give it to the other guy. And then he does the same thing. It's great. It's hilarious. So just, I think the Broncos had, um, what, what, what it was like 10, 11 snaps inside the 10 and mm-hmm. did not score a touchdown. Oh, incredible. 
incredible performance. Like the how you lose that game, I don't know. Like we make fun of the Chargers for always finding ways to lose. That's something the Chargers would do. Where you? Oh, just, they charge. They almost charged it up on Sunday, they did, but they didn't. They, they did didn't, not. but they almost did. But that's that's normally what we're used to seeing the Chargers do. That where you're like, oh. They're so much better than this team, but multiple goal line fumbles, some absolutely bizarre coaching decision, and oh, you lost a game by one to Geno Smith. Like that's what we're used to seeing the Chargers do. But the Broncos did it last night. God, what a terrible decision! I can't believe how bad that is. And he afterwards didn't uh, didn't take blame. He thought he it was the right I, choice. He thought it was the right choice over fourth and five. <laughs> With Russell Wilson as your quarterback, like Jared just said, two hundred million plus on the uh, on the guarantee or on on the extension, not the guarantee, the extension. He thought it was the right choice. I thought Hackett was supposed to be one of these uh, smart young coaches that knows the math, knows the okay. In all seriousness, uh, the Chargers we know do this, the Ravens we know do this. Why does every team not have somebody on the headset? telling the coach about timeouts and fourth down decisions. Why is that not a, a a real job for every single team in the NFL? Every single coach should have somebody well, who's literally looking at a computer screen and saying, all right, Nathaniel, if you kick it here, our odds of winning are 7%. If we go for it, it's 36%. Why is that not in Nathaniel Hackett's ear? Why is that not in every single? The Chargers have it. There's a story um, Brandon or Daniel Popper had it about the Chargers have two guys on their headsets that can tell Brandon Staley before the every, percentages of yeah. win and loss. The, the way the Chargers do it is before each first down, they say, hey, if Here's we the get, probability. they say if it's fourth and four or shorter, we're going. If it's fourth and five or longer, we're not. Or the probability suggests. And then Staley makes the actual decision, right? That we know the Ravens do it. Like every single coach should have that. And obviously Nathaniel Hackett doesn't because that guy would have been screaming. <laughs> In his ear, this is the worst decision you have a to coach go for has ever it. made. Do yes. not kick the ball. Right. It un- it's unreal. Like, I don't understand why that's not a position for every single every single team in the NFL should have that guy on the headset talking to their coach. We made jokes about it yesterday, but I mean, Idaho State has that, and it's just a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that 12-year-old? Yes. Yes, and the 12-year-old at the end of the half telling his dad, what are you doing? Come it's on. great. Call the timeout. Let's go. Let's take a Hail Mary. All right. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. We are on one. I lost count. Dishwasher watch. David Roth from Defector is with us on the press box. Subscribe to the distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code distract for a free month of Stitcher premium. Good morning, David. David. Did you come back from Maine and your dishwasher was fixed? Uh, I would love to tell you that. Actually, the uh, building manager quit. Not the not the person that lives here. The person that works for the company. So, got a whole lot of new stuff. Some fun new emails. Uh, but we did find out that the the planned gas shut off. I feel like there's people in my building that are less up on this stuff than you all are, and I'm really sorry about that. But you asked, so I'm going to answer it. Uh, gas shut off has been postponed for a little while. Yeah. Ah, so time, we just man. right now okay. it's like I'm just up a free hot plate. And then, of course, maybe in January, I won't be able to cook for three weeks. But yeah. we'll see. We'll talk about it then. I'm glad they gave you a very specific time of uh, for a little while. Yeah, it was. Uh, it says basically the notice in the elevator just has the word postponed on it really large. <laughs> like it kind of looks like a meme in the way that uh, anything that's designed by an old enough person in Microsoft Word is going to kind of wind up looking like a meme. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, it's but so looks like six months. But that would put us like kind of I don't know. There, there's no way that they're going to do this around the Christmas season. So I think that maybe they'll wait till spring. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got any hot takes on Major League Baseball officially banning the shift next year? I think that that's the one rule change I think is kind of stupid. Um, it doesn't really seem like there's been any proof that it does anything on batting average and balls in play. I think it's just people don't. I mean, I don't love watching a second baseman throw a guy out from shallow right field. Like I've gotten used to it, but I don't really like it. Like I've watched enough baseball where that wasn't a thing that happened. That it still kind of is a, a clang moment for me visually. But uh, yeah, that's the one that like, I don't know who that's for exactly. I mean, I guess it like sort of theoretically could have some sort of impact. I feel like you just, the stuff with the pitch clock, I'm all into that. Like that's fine. If you want to make the game you know, if you can make it 20 minutes shorter and a little bit more concise than it is, then I kind of don't care where the ground outs are happening. You know, like, I think that's the bigger issue. So you don't have more... any, are, you, are you mad about the shift? Is there like any, I don't, this is one where I don't really know what the state of play in the conversation is. Like, do people get more upset about this than the pitch clock or less? I, I am to get more. Upset I love the shift. So I absolutely hate that they are telling guys you can't stand where, you know, the batter's going to hit the ball. Right. I mean, that to me, that just seems like, I don't know, That's this is classic MLB stuff, too, because it's like sort of fixing a problem that doesn't necessarily exist. Whereas, like, I think that, and I'm not like somebody that minds sitting at the ballpark for three hours. I'm going to do it on Thursday, and the Pirates are involved. Like, I've got all kinds of, of my own issues to work out with that. But I think that, like, the idea of, like, the limiting the engagement, how many pickoff throws you can do, like, the pitch clocky type stuff, We've already seen that that works in the minors, and you can see it with guys that get called up, like the young players that have been working with the pitch clock in the minors for the last couple of years, work faster. Like, that's fine. There's no reason why, like, Araldus Chapman should take 50 seconds between pitches. That doesn't add any value. But the shift is strategy. Like, that's different. You know, it's not the same thing as, like, a max effort reliever who has to take a minute to get himself psyched up to throw another fastball. So, yeah, I mean, that would seem to be the one to let go, but that's not necessarily how rule changes work like you get five and if four of them are good you just sort of have to accept the you know the, the last one is annoying it's almost like the shift uh doing away with it is get off my lawn guy yeah i mean it kind of has that like feeling of like I, that one feels like more like it's like sort of pandering to people that are like frustrated with the way that baseball is now right, as right. opposed to the way that like baseball works as a viewing experience because like i feel like if you want to fix the viewing experience that's fine it's your product but the way that baseball is is like that's the reason why people are watching it in the first place like just because rob manfred doesn't like it doesn't mean it's bad uh albert pools he is a few home runs away from 700 but uh i saw a tweet yesterday that was about his uh weighted runs created uh great stat there but he is at 141 <laughs> this year which is the worst he's ever been as a Cardinal, but it is better than every single season he played in a different team's uniform. How come Pujols is only good as a Cardinal? I think some of that you got to chalk up to just Angels magic. (laughs) (laughs) The only, I think that this is, it's definitely true that like, you know, whatever, this does not, I don't think strike anybody as being like a sustainable return to form for Pujols. I think it's cool that it's happening and I've never really, liked him much. I mean, I'm not a Cardinals fan, but the, the angels difference, like I, that I would like to learn how to calculate for 
Like they had, cause like they've made a bunch of, you know, the bad signings that they've made. The one that I always go back to is them paying Gary Matthews Jr. like $50 million off of one half of a good season. And like, you knew that wasn't going to work out. It wouldn't have worked out for any team signing Gary Matthews Jr. to that contract. But like, is it, is it 25% worse because it's the Angels? Is it 50% worse? Like, I feel like that's the, the analytics that would really like um, do us all some good in terms of understanding like how cooked are, you know, the pitchers that the Angels like, have. Like, how much better is Rysel Iglesias going to get when he puts on a Braves uniform or any other uniform? And that, uh, you know, I feel like science can't quite explain what the Angels are doing. I don't know how. I mean, I do think Pools is worse, and I know that his body was falling apart. But like, yeah, that is uh, that's actually a hilarious stat. So like, the, that's still a pretty good uh, WRC too. Yeah. Uh, so on your logic, what the hell is Shohei Otani going to do when he leaves Anaheim? Like cure cancer. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't. The idea that he's able to this is honestly like him and Trout is also in the middle of some crazy run, which is like again classic Angel stuff. Like those two guys playing absolutely out of their mind and doing everything they can to get that team to seventy four wins before the season is over is just really <laughs> dark. But like. You know, I feel like if Otani were in, I, I will say this, they've done a decent job managing him the last couple of years, like workload-wise. I think that's probably very hard, and I think a lot of teams would have screwed it up. Like the fact that he's going to make a full slate of starts this year and get, you know, the whatever, 500, 600 plate appearances that he's going to wind up with. Like, that's impressive. I think, you know, for sure the Mets would have screwed that up in previous years and, you know, uh, but that's about as far as I'm willing to go. Yes, like I feel like in any other uniform, it's suddenly like uh, he stops needing to leave games, or uh, he finds a new way to hit like the, like super homers. No one knows what those are yet, but like give it time. <laughs> Wait for him to wind up with the Yankees, and we'll figure it out. Did the uh, Braves have their run? Their three three uh, losses in a row. Now, are you going to hold them off? I think the Mets are going to hold them off mostly because uh, the Mets schedule is, is pretty easy the next couple of weeks. Uh, and the Braves had to come back to earth. I mean, you just can't win 75% of your games for four months. I mean, they basically did it for three months. I still feel like this is like, you know, as we've talked about, like I think those two teams are extremely close in terms of how good they are. Uh, and the Mets are lucky that they had a lead to start with, but I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like, this is what's sort of strange about it is that like, you know, you time this stuff, right. Like the Braves did last year and you're not just the world series champion. Like everybody loves you because you are peaking at exactly the right moment. And like, it's not to say that the Braves are, are totally gassed out, but like the July and August that they had were awesome. Like those were, <laughs> but you'd sure rather have that in September and October than in July and August. Are we going to see a clamoring this offseason to change the playoff format, given that the Dodgers are going to have the best record in baseball, but not have the easiest path in the National League? I feel like there, I would hope that there would be. I mean, like, you know, clamor is, and there's a lot of different degrees of that in terms of, like, are we going to see whining about it? Yes. Or is there going to be any attempt to sort of fix it in a way that makes sense? I hope so. But I feel like that format is always like this is you know it's the same sort of deal with the nfl and the wild card and stuff like that when you introduce more teams into it like to a certain extent it makes it more representative and then but also like it's very very difficult to do that without some team that had a great regular season getting screwed one way or the other and i think that like you know 
Dodgers, for better or worse, uh, like always seem to have some sort of obstacle thrown in their path in the postseason. It's like kind of part of the fun of watching it is trying to figure out like how they're going to pull it off. I might like that less if I were a Dodgers fan. I'm sure that I would. Uh, but I don't know exactly like, again, I think it's something, it's a problem to fix. I don't know to what extent MLB is going to be like motivated to fix it. Uh, you know, after they do the rule changes, I kind of expect them to just, um, you know, take a few months off, focus on golf. (laughs) All right. Uh, David, um, I look forward to you not having any of your utilities working by the end of the year, because that's the path we are headed for. Oh yeah, I'm just. I'll probably be living indoors, but I'll be, you're going to be calling me, and I'm going to have to like, yeah, I'll be holding up a match so that I can see that it's Jared calling me on the phone, and then I'll answer it from there. Yeah, that'll be great, David Roth from Defector. Thanks, as always, guys. David, we appreciate Thanks, it. David, appreciate it. Have a good day. Uh, I need to double check this, but it, the the stat on Trout, he's hit a home run in seven straight games. I think the record's eight. I think. The Angels are either two and five or three and four in those seven. In those games. games. Yeah, which three and four actually better than you probably expect. Right. Uh the other stat was the Astros went thirteen and six against the Angels this year. Shohei Otani started four of the six Angel wins. Basically, if Otani didn't start, the Astros could not lose to the Angels. It's a great team. Phenomenal organization. The Dodgers, I'm gonna throw this in have outscored people by 316 it's a lot runs. of runs it's a lot of runs 316 and they're not going to win the world series so they, can you believe that? they're going to win the world series Three, relax over there 316 that's almost impossible ed comes on here every day complaining about the dodgers pitching and they have the best era in baseball <laughs> they've given up the fewest runs in the sport they literally said oh we accidentally said we clinched it too early, but don't worry. <laughs> we'll still clinch We're it the next clinch day. It. The oh, next day. Yes. The day, last night, they yes. had a little champagne toast, and then the Major League Baseball goes, oh, we messed up the math. Right. Which, you still need to win one to, to get in the playoffs. It's incredible. They Major Which, League Baseball changed their own tiebreaker rules and then forgot to update it the yes. next season. Like they, they, there's no game 163. They just go to tiebreakers, and they forgot about that, and that's why they screwed up the whole clinching scenario. Because there wouldn't be a game 163. Right. So they were like, ah, this team clinched early. And it's like, no, they didn't. You changed <laughs> your tiebreaker rules. <laughs> you changed your rules and you forgot about it. And then the Dodgers were like, oh, don't worry. We'll take care of it the next day. Coming up next, is UNLV football going to get a win this weekend? Rumfield, out of his shotgun, steps forward, hollers out some instructions. As we wait for the snap, here comes another blitz. Brumfield is pressured, fires for the end zone, incomplete. There's got to be a flag. Kyle Williams gets thrown to the ground there, and there's no flag. There's got to be a flag on that play. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Do you know we lost to Cal by six? Oh, Ed, you weren't here yesterday. No. I, I am assuming you did not watch UNLV Cal. The assumption would be correct. I kept, I was flying actually during some of it. And then when I got to my destination, I was able to check out the score. But I was not, I, I kept up on Twitter actually. I kept up with uh, the guys on Twitter who were there, kind of keeping me abreast of what was happening as they tried to win that game. Are you aware of what you had to do to watch that game if you weren't in the Bay Area? I had to stream it somewhere, I think. You had to, you had to have Fubo TV. Okay. And if you didn't have Fubo so I, TV, I wasn't going to watch it. <laughs> the, the official recommendation from UNLV was to 
use the free trial on Fubo TV to watch UNLV okay. and Cal. Okay. Which is the funniest thing I've ever heard. And I did do it. But it's the funniest thing I've ever heard is that the way to watch UNLV play a football game in 2022 was to download Fubo TV and sign up for the free trial. And did you download it on your laptop? No, on my TV. There's a there's an app for my television. Okay, so you watched it. Yeah. Oh yeah, watched the whole thing. How was I, the uh, production? It was okay. Was it was it a fee of the Pac-12 network? Yeah. Or? So it's so the Pac-12 network has like regional networks as a part of it. Right. So in like Saturday, they can show multiple football games at the same time. Right. But if you're in the Bay, if you're in the if you're in the Bay Area, if you're near Cal. You get the Cal you, game. Yeah, you get the Cal games. If you're, I don't know who they were going up against. If you're in Oregon, you, you got Oregon the Oregon State, State against State Fresno State, State or yeah. whoever. So that's the reason behind it. But it sucks if you don't live in that area because then you can't watch it unless you have Fubo TV, which was hilarious. It's one of the funniest things I've done. Uh, I had to cancel it yesterday before they charged me $80 for Fubo TV. Uh, so that was great. Uh, I thought that was uh, very hey, funny. Hey, you got to watch the game. Yeah, but it's just funny. The production was okay. Um, for example, you just heard Caleb Herring complaining about a no call, uh, potential pass interference in the end zone. They never showed a replay. So wait a second. You were watching, you were listening on the radio and then watching it on TV. No, I just heard Caleb Herring right there. Oh, my bad. Okay. Yeah. My bad. It was fourth down, fourth and goal and cut. Listen, you see Doug Brumfield almost gets sacked. He throws the ball and he throws the ball and Kyle Williams is sitting on the ground and it, and it's incomplete. And then you you see a couple replays of Brumfield getting hit as he throws, but they never show a replay of the receiver and the defensive back. So it, you could see it live on the main angle, but it's kind of far away. It looked like it would have been a soft call if it was pass interference, but you never got an actual replay of whether or not that was pass interference. Okay. And it was, you know, the biggest play of the game, basically. Right, and right. you didn't get a replay of it. So production, um, not a deal. They are favored by three points over North Texas this weekend. Should they be favored by three points over North Texas this uh, weekend? I know you're going to say the where the uh, where they're ranked nationally, um, but yes, at home I think they should be two and zero against the spread. SB Plus has North Texas at 87th, UNLV at 104. Uh, by the way, Cal at 74. Um, I'm going to go with no. They shouldn't be favored, uh, just because you like a pick them. Sure. Uh, I think SP Plus actually projects North Texas to win uh, by 1.2 points. Oh, it's going to be a close one. So, yeah. So, basically, SP Plus disagrees by about four points with the actual spread there, which is pretty significant. Usually, SP Plus and the spread are are right on each other. Um, Being at home, does that matter for UNLV? Well, it did the first game, but that was Idaho State. (laughs) Because yeah, I mean, I think it matters to some degree. I think they'd rather be there than, what is this? Is this the Mean Green? Yes. I don't know if you want to go on the road and face the Mean Green. Have they done that of late? Uh, no. Did they go somewhere? They went uh, to uh, Texas San Antonio last year. Texas San Antonio. But that's uh, like eight eight hours away from Dallas, which is where North, or around Dallas, where North Texas is. Um, but here's the stat on UNLV football. They are now 0-7 in one possession losses under Marcus, uh, one possession games under Marcus Arroyo. They were 0-6 last year. They're 0-1 this year. Is that going to change? Are they going to win a close game one of these times? Because this no. should be a close game, and they've SB never won one. Is, is correct. They could do it this week. They could. This is, not the, this is not the North Texas of the heart of Dallas Bowl. 
What do you mean? It's not the North Texas, the heart of Dallas Bowl. I believe uh, North Texas is the team that defeated, defeated oh, Bobby yes. Howe yes. in, in the. Uh, I was there a decade ago. Well, Almost. I'm telling you, it was in the. <laughs> it was it was North Texas' first bowl when I'm looking this up since 2002. That night, that year is 2013-14 bowl games. Yeah. You think they're winning? I think they're winning this week. I'm not going to pick them I'm to under- win a game until I see them win a close game. All right. They're going to have to win it. They have not won a close game under Arroyo. And until they do, why would I think they're going to, why would I think that's going to change? For some I, reason I heard that is I'm not going to pick them to win a game until they win a game. I mean, it's kind and then of what I, I retro, said. Retrospect, I told them that they were going to win that game. Yeah. I'm rolling on an under, uh, under reaction Tuesday. I you mean, I'm staying positive with this. Stuff. Look at you. Well, you, those of you know, we expect nothing less <laughs> from this angle. They're just, it's okay. Normally in one, in close games, you say those will even out, but we just saw. Yes, we just saw Scott Frost get fired. He went five and twenty-two in one-possession games at Nebraska, which is hilarious. UNLV is now zero and seven under Arroyo in one-possession games. That's awful. And until I see a team coached by Marcus Arroyo that doesn't burn through timeouts or do stupid things at the end of games, I'm not going to believe they get it done this win. week. They beat the Mean Green in a one-possession game. All How's right. That? Are they going to have? Will they have all three timeouts with three minutes left in the fourth? They'll have one left.